podcast. Now, wait. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. It's time for our personal finance slot and uh, today we're in conversation with uh, Gerald Mwandiambira who is a financial planner um, and we're focusing on what it is that you need to take into consideration on how to deal with the debt of a spouse after they pass away. I don't know if you've ever experienced it um, yourself, um, know of a family member or a friend um, who passed on with, with a debt and how those um, who they left behind um, had, to, had, to, had to deal with that. Um, and also the anecdote that I shared uh, earlier on as well, that I remember a certain individual uh, who was terminally ill, who then um, went out and just took things on credit, you know, furniture. And I remember a landline as well, beautiful landline, uh, by the way, uh, took that out on credit and um, she knew that uh, that she she's going to pass on um yeah so so speaking about those we can you can call us on 0861987000 you can also tweet at Aldrin Pierre hashtag power talk and also tweet at powerfm987 Gerald good morning and welcome to power talk good morning and good morning to all the powerfm listeners okay so what is the top of mind when we speak about um, number 1 credit and then we'll get to the point of speaking about the person who passes on. Look, I think top of the mind when you're talking credit is really affordability in terms of whilst the person is alive, um, can they afford it? And normally when you go into the topic, you're talking about where it's about a spouse. Mm-hmm. It speaks to open lines of communication between spouses in terms of their financial obligations and debts. Mm-hmm. Because that is where the biggest problem often arises, is that the husband or the wife has no clue what the other um, is carrying in terms of debt. And they often get that nasty surprise um, when the one party passes on and suddenly you know, there are all these liabilities which the other half um, was not aware of. Okay, so, so so here we're speaking here about the spouse in in particular, but what about the a, the the marriage regime? Does that not play a role at all? Yes, I think the marriage regime speaks a lot to 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 the death while the 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 the, 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 the deceased to be spouse is still alive. Now, in terms of the three marriage regimes, once you die, um, they almost become the same. So, for example, if you're on an anti-nuptial contract, an NC contract, which means that um, everything and all the assets you accrue after the date of marriage are part of the joint estate, when you die, they will treat all those assets as though they were jointly owned community of property assets. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll just exclude all the assets which were in the anti-nuptial contract. If you're a community of property or one single estate, again, they will simply um, deal divide the estate as though it's a single estate. The only exception of the marriage regimes is when you actually um, have a, an 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 nuptial contract without a, with with a, without accrual where your individual identities are maintained throughout um, the marriage. But that's quite rare. Normally, you find that marriage regime um, where two very wealthy people come together and they really don't need to 
join their estates or because of the way their estates are already constructed, it's a legal nightmare just to unwind. And there's a lot of inheritances. There's things like usufruct and thing and trust. And, but it's a rare marriage regime. For the most common um, types of marriage regime, on the death of the spouse, um, the assets accrued in the marriage or the assets of the marriage are simply divided between the two. And it's not just the assets, it's also the liabilities, which speaks to the debt situation that if if one has uh, hidden credit cards or liabilities, they often only surface at that point. Can I argue then as the surviving spouse that I didn't know about this? Unfortunately, ignorance is not a defense in the eyes of the law. Um, you're, we are all supposed to be versed in terms of the financial obligations um, which we enter into, as well as those who are part of our joint estate. So your spouse is um, part, an extension of you, so you cannot plead um, ignorance. Um, the only exception might be in cases where there's a fraud has taken place, but normally, you know, that is why where if you're married in community property, you need to co-sign um, liabilities so that you are actually signing and acknowledging that you are aware of that liability. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would it ever happen that um, even if you are in a community of property that um, your spouse then goes ahead and secures a loan or credit without your knowledge and then that ties you up as well? Well, it happens more often than you think. It happens quite a lot where you know a lot of credit providers don't go through the the necessary checks and they will issue credits to one party and assume that the spouse knows about it. It often does happen. And on your death, a number of things happen the day you die. Mm-hmm. Um, for the first thing, your tax liability is triggered the day you die because you're deemed to have been submitting your tax return on that day. <laughs> so, oh. you know, you're deemed to have been submitting your tax return. You're deemed to have been disposing of all your assets. So suddenly, you know, on the day you die, there's a lot of cash that's suddenly required. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't actually consider having the liquidity required to pay your estate duty and a lot of the liabilities which require cash. Stars don't deal in assets. They don't deal in chairs. They don't deal in cars. They want Mm. cash. And often, you know, you need to actually have a life policy which has a liquidity required on your death to pay your cash liabilities, which will arise the day you die. And this is why it's important that, you know, a lot of people, you've heard the story, they, he had so many houses mm. and they're selling houses, but it's because there was no cash. So a lot of people are asset rich, but actually cash poor. And the day you die, you do need a significant amount of cash, especially if through your life you've acquired a lot of assets. And also if you haven't been filing your tax returns, because Certainly, you know, you can't go and um, finalize an estate which has never paid taxes. They will actually backdate and go as far as they can mm-hmm. to reclaim the tax debt you might um, have accrued. And all this falls on your surviving spouse. You're conveniently out of the picture and it becomes a, a, a real nightmare for the surviving spouse. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, so earlier on, you, you said that um, sometimes the credit providers themselves wouldn't follow all the necessary steps. So who then is liable? Who then takes Look, accountability for that oversight? It's not really an oversight. It's a, it's, it's, it's a situation on once where your spouse was actually the one who was dishonest. So the, but how is that my problem? 
it becomes your problem because you signed for that debt knowing that you are married and you didn't tell your wife or make her available to fill in that form. Or you signed that debt knowing that you are married yeah, but, and you but is, but is the, that you but are it, married. But as the surviving spouse, how is that my problem? It becomes your problem because you chose to marry that person. So you need to realize that trust is that the utmost foundation of a marriage. So it's exactly that question. How is it your problem? It's your problem because you married them. You. So if the person is was just a fraudster from the get-go. <laughs> exactly as you're from... saying. If the person was a fraudster, you married a fraudster. You are going to be part and parcel of the fraud which occurred. And that is why it's important that you know, marriage counseling occurs before marriage and financial counseling occurs also between before marriage because in essence, a marriage contract is a financial contract. Mm. A marriage contract is a financial contract. And I think if any listener can get that today and learn that, they'll realize that, you know, it's not the airy-fairy things which count in the eyes of the law. In the eyes of the law, a marriage contract is a financial contract and therefore when you dissolve a marriage with divorce, or when one party dies, it simply looks at the assets and the liabilities. Angshati <laughs> gemin. That's what they all say. I no 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 mean no 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 no. I'm not going to. I'm not going to because because the thing about about the relationship, right, Gerald, is that so there we are. We are in a relationship. We, you and I are well. I don't know. We are on. But you go into cloud nine, and then you hit a financial snag. And you don't disclose that you've hit a financial snag, and then you go out and you end up my credit outside without without telling me, um, and then I must now stick with that liability. I think because you, people you know, change, right? People do a change. Of, a lot of people, when they enter into a, that relationship, which becomes a marriage, have a top-down approach to marriage, where you look at the nice stuff. The, the, the going out, the, the, the pleasant stuff, mm. and only the nasty stuff only starts coming out towards when it's too late. You should have a bottom-up approach where when you meet, discuss how much you earn, discuss how you're struggling with debt, discuss your liabilities so that you can actually have a fair and reasonable picture of the person you're dealing with before you get married. Now, the top-down approach is that person will be taking you out, whining, dining, but you have absolutely no idea that everything you've enjoyed during your courtship was actually the bank which was courting you. It was not the person. And then you only discover some of these things later on. So, yes, the death becomes the ultimate challenge because you're not only dealing with the loss of a partner, a life partner, but you're also dealing suddenly with... um, unknown um, surprises which may come in the form of debt and we're still sometimes in the form of children and other liabilities which you were not aware of sure uh, this is yeah so so so, so, so is, is is this generally what happens across the world or are there are there any any jurisdictions where the fine the financial provider or the, the finance provider the credit provider is obligated to make sure that both parties um, sign the terms and conditions of the loan or the credit? Look, I think it's, it's, it's a universal rule. That's why it's important to understand the small print. Because when you, that, Ropamos. When you, when you take out that loan and it asks you that question, married or single, if you click married, you're actually also um, accepting the fact that your spouse knows that you're doing this. 
if you click single and you're actually married, then you're actually um, acting in a, in a deceptive manner and it becomes fraud. So even if it's fraud and you actually happen to die, the, the, the people who are claiming the loss will claim it on your estate. It won't dissolve because, you're, you, because you happen not to be there. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it goes and touches on the story of your friend who you said knew they had a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. And they went and accrued all the credit they could because they knew they were going. You yeah. know. Now, the sad part is if that person had a spouse, that spouse would have actually been you know, dealt a hard blow. But obviously, if they knew they were single and free to mingle and they just wanted to, to go out to the mm-hmm. bank, then obviously that's what they did. But but then when does it become fraud, um, and when 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 can we dispute whether or not the 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 credit provider is is entitled <laughs> to any payout? Look, your 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 spouse hey. is wearing your spouse <laughs> is wearing a ring. They enter a bank, they ask for a loan, they fill in the form, and they then write single. Yet they entered that bank yeah. knowing that they were married and there's marriage pictures and there's a lot of things to, to prove that they knew what they were doing. That That's just straight deception. Another situation will be where they click married and they don't actually then happen to divulge that today, oh, I went and I got a 200,000 rand loan. Um, the money mysteriously just appears as income. I think, you know, the, it's, it's about financial transparency in relationships, because where there is no transparency, then you are guaranteed to have these challenges. There should be transparency on your income, on your expenditure, and there should be transparency on your assets as well as your liabilities. Uh, Gerald, I think you've put a lot of people off <laughs> the idea of getting married. <laughs> I don't think I put anyone off. I think people get married because of the right reasons, but they don't actually inform themselves of the full picture and it's really a trust-based relationship and it's really a relationship which money should be the first thing you discuss you should do an itc check on the person you're dating and if if they refuse to be transparent about their debt before you actually get married if they won't show you the the payslip before you're married then later on when you've made that commitment Mm. it you you actually went in with your eyes wide open Wow, you raise a very important point. And I don't know um, if any of the couples who are out there who are married, did you go that route? Did you go that route where you did an ITC check on your partner before you guys went into signing um, that contract that says that now you and I are husband and wife or wife and wife or husband and husband? Um, did Did anyone do that? Is there anyone who has done that? And how difficult was it at all? Because what it does as well, Gerald, and this is now speaking about the relationship, is that um, the other partner would probably think that, yeah, no, Ungtrita with a level of suspicion. Look, it's not really a level of suspicion. It's just transparency. Technically speaking, if you're married in community or property, you can request an ITC check on your spouse because you share a joint estate. So you are one, you are indivisible in terms of your financial Mm. um, liabilities. So if you are married and in in married in community property, it should be possible for you to prove to a credit bureau and get your your spouse's ITC check because of that um, marriage. Okay. So so what happens then if 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 the other partner is is not in good standing, has a terrible credit uh, credit scorecard? Does that have any implication on whether or not um, the other partner will be getting a loan in yes, the absence of me being there? 
look, um, if, if we are a joint estate, uh, married in community, if, if one of you is ITC, then definitely the joint estate will not qualify for the credit, which is why more and more people select the um, anti-nuptial contract with accrual so that at least um, in the eyes of the law, when you go for and apply for credit, you're treated as an individual and it's based on only your, your financial behavior and your financial standing. Whereas if it's a pure community of property mm. um, application, yes, the standing of your spouse will definitely impact on you. And that's for me where the problem then comes in. So now all of a sudden, the spouse who's not in front of, of the teller um, and their standing now has an impact on whether I get the loan or not. But if they are in good standing and I get the loan, and I and and I pass on. Now it means that the spouse on the other end, who wasn't party to this uh, loan agreement, now has a, le- a, a financial liability. Yes, I understand your point. But for me sure. to to have used to to have entered into that loan agreement, I put my spouse's ID number. I knew it because I wrote married and I put my spouse's ID number, and they were clean on credit. And you managed to get the loan. It's you who chose to be deceptive and mm. not tell your spouse. So that's that's one of the challenges in terms of where you're coming from to say, look, yeah. um, you're damned if you don't. If you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. But it it boils down to that statement I made earlier, mm-hmm. earlier, which was you chose to marry that person, and you need to understand that each other's financial behavior it evolves over time but we need to be in the full picture from day one okay uh Klolani, good morning shop shop uh-huh. my wife took a loan from one of the banks and then of more than two hundred thousand, and then uh for whatever reason that she wanted to do but then it, it didn't work out and then she said to me she took me the money back to the bank, but she has not shown me. I asked her for a, a, a something on paper to prove that indeed that loan was taken back to the bank. She hasn't done that, and she refuses to do that. And when I go to that particular bank with her details, they said no, they can't provide me with a statement mm. of her personal of her account. So now you understand. I'm now I'm caught in between. If something happens to her, I have to carry on with that. Uh, 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 I have to pay off that loan, and I don't know where that money ended up. So the money isn't there anymore? I don't know whether the money is still there, but she just told me that the money, she, t- she took it back. Mm-hmm. You know, so I have to take the word for it. But I want something on paper to show that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So, okay. Let's see what Gerald has to say. Just hold on, uh, Colan. Yeah. Gerald? Wow. Yes. I think, you know, it, it, it's a challenge in that. I think it's a challenge in that your wife is refusing to furnish details of the loan which was taken bank. But let's let's just look at the common sense element, element here in that if you take out a loan and you want to repay it back two minutes after they've issued it, you're going to pay it back with interest. They, have, <laughs> they, don't, they don't want to hear stories. No. <laughs> Same thing, you, drive, you drive the car out of the dealership. Ten minutes later, you decide you have a change of heart. Don't go to the new cars. Take the car to used cars. You've lost 20, 30% of the value. If she did take the money back to the bank, she obviously had to incur uh, losses and charges for that to happen. Now, unfortunately, I won't speak from the legal side, but I think there is a way in which you can consult with your solicitor or attorney and compel the bank to furnish you the details you require 
simply because you are married to that person. Okay. And you have, a, you have an interest in that loan. If anything, if you are married in community or property, you should have signed for that loan. So okay. you should be asking the bank, why, is, why am I not involved in this situation? Okay. Golan, are you married in community or property? Yeah. Did you ask? Did you ask the bank? No, no. You see, with personal loan, I don't think they, they, it depends. I think on if any uh, can, can actually qualify for that. But in this case, I did not sign for it. Yeah, I didn't sign for it. Okay. Um, so, um, what recourse does somebody like him have? Okay. Thank what you. I'll do, I'll do some research for you, and you get in touch with me offline, and I will get back to you with an answer. Thank in you terms so much. Of the legal standing in that situation where once where the spouse is refusing to disclose information of liabilities. Thank you so much for that, Gerald. Uh, Musa, good morning. Good morning. I, I, I just want to find out I'm a divorcee. We have divorced almost 10 years ago. But my husband, whenever he got debt, like when he always show up, they phone me. When he owns own municipality, they call me. So I just want to find out how does it come by. So I'm just getting what, what when he passed away, his, those problems will be mine. <laughs> okay, I think in that situation, if you are divorced and you have your divorce settlement or your decree nisi, what you need to do is whenever anyone calls you about this man's debt, please um, send them a copy of your settlement or divorce um, and the date. Because what might be happening is either these debts were entered into whilst you were still married or they were taken after you're still married but they assumed you are. So it's important that you actually, yes, divorce him in terms of any of his debts when you hear of um, these things happening. But if you have proof of your divorce, even if you were to die, you would not be held liable because you can prove that at this date I divorced him. Okay. However, you might be held liable of any debts which were in his name up till the date of your divorce. I die. I die. A ta- I die. I die a thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so this person took out a loan during our marriage, right? And then we get divorced. Yet I'm still liable for a loan that was taken out during our marriage. Okay. Even though- How it works is the day you are divorced, <laughs> your financial responsibility to each other was ended, which is why at divorce, you also, a divorce is treated like a death. You are supposed to settle all your debts together, which are, in both, which were, which are accrued by both of you. And you're sub- so that's why sometimes divorce is very expensive because you can't actually afford to get divorced because the day you divorce, you have to settle all your debts mm, okay. so that you can start your lives as individuals again. So, so hence why it's not as simple as we got divorced. No, you got divorced, but you need to settle your liabilities <laughs> at the date of divorce, which is what holds a lot of people in marriages. But that day of divorce still comes the day you die because... That debt is now in passed Ooh. on to the remaining spouse to deal with. Owen, why did you get married? <laughs> Lutendo, good morning. I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a scam, my brother. I tell you the scam. I was I was talking with my wife. I can't remember there was a case now about a divorce and then we were talking about it. if we knew this before, we wouldn't have married in community of property, I tell you. It's a, it's a big but scare. you can still change, isn't it, Gerald? Look, um, it's not encouraged by the courts, and normally the courts wants to have very good reasons why you want to change your marriage regime. I saw one of a celebrity who managed to do it, but 
from oh, my experience. Uh, Unand. Is it Nandine Mugoma? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's not something I know the courts like to do, and they like to, because people would do it every day to dodge each other's deaths. That's why it's important before you get married, you have to enter into that antinatural contract before you get married. And another thing about which people are not understanding is that, you know, the rise in traditional marriages and them being accepted as a community of property marriage, by the time you go to your white wedding or want to sign, you're already married in community of property. So it's important that if you are going to do an antinatural contract, before marriage, it must happen even before the traditional wedding because by the time you want to do it after a traditional wedding, you're already married in community of property. And these are some of the little things which young couples or people yes. are getting married overlook and they find out the, um, the hard way when it's later on and they say, look, we cannot do an anti-nuptial contract for you because you're already married. It's anti means after marriage contract. Yeah, so okay. You, we can't do it Lutendo, Lutendo, just quickly wrap up your point. Uh, I, I just wanted to say it's one of those scams that is done by capitalists. They want you. They want somebody liable after all. Hey, and they romanticize that thing. Yo, 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 yo. Okay, there's a question here from Timothy. Um, he says that please ask your guest about the insurance that pays off after the spouse has passed away. My brother-in-law um, had an insurance and is in the process of paying off everything. And please just give some advice as well, Gerald, as we conclude. Okay, to conclude, if you are married, make sure there's a will. Because if there's no will, things get extra complicated and you have extra strong problems when your spouse passes away. Make sure there's a will. Because the will will detail the assets and the liabilities. Secondly, make sure you have a life policy to pay liquidity requirements. So if your estate is sizable, make sure that there is cash available the day your spouse dies. Normally, it's a life policy which will pay out to either... Um, the executor to pay your tax and your liabilities and make sure that you don't actually end up touching the assets. Discuss that with your financial planning professional. Also important, your life policies nominate beneficiaries because a life policy does not form part of your estate. So if you die and you leave money on your life policy to your children, they get it straight away. It's not held up because sometimes, especially if you've accumulated a lot of wealth, um, your estate can take a while to wind down because people who you owe must wait 12 months. They have to advertise it in the papers, yeah. etc. And also the last and, and probably the, the most important thing, be honest with your spouse about your financial standing and financial situation. Mm. Do not leave your spouse the worst present when you're gone of debts which they do not know how to deal with. Aish, that is assuming that they love you so much. And they never stop loving you. <laughs> Gerald, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sharing this one with my person as well. <laughs> the podcast I'm sharing with my person. You've been listening to a Power Night.